Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello from the ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. This is the ABA Law Student Podcast. I'm Sandy Gallant-Jones, Seventh Circuit Governor, representing the states of Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. And I'm Chris Morgan, Governor of the ABA Law Student Division's 12th Circuit, representing the schools in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. And today, dun, 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 we're talking about legal research. One of your favorite classes, right, Chris? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Five semesters of legal research over at Gonzaga University. So pretty rigorous program. Wow. Love so it. You are, a, you are a legal research ninja then. I wish. I wish. So you could work with Barbara Bavins from the Library of Congress who joins us today. Also, Sheila Hollis. Welcome, ladies. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you. Fun to be here. So... Barbara, you just did a fantastic presentation here at the Mid-Year Conference on how to conduct free legal research online. So tell me a little bit about what the Library of Congress is for our listeners who may not realize the resource that's available either through a phone call or through an email. Sure. Well, uh, the Law Library of Congress is the largest law library in the world. Uh, We have about 2.9 million volumes in our collection. And we have a a very extensive website that I think can really help people trying to do free legal research online. We offer a lot of information there produced by our foreign law specialists and our uh, public service librarians as well about both international uh, comparative and uh, domestic law. Uh, I think it's a great resource for people to start with if they're starting out their research, uh, particularly in the legal field, because I think there's a lot there available for free that people just don't realize is there. Well, I know when I was introduced to legal research in law school, the first three sites that or databases that were introduced to is Westlaw, <laughs> LexisNexis, yeah. and also Bloomberg. Right. But do you think that for law students, they become over-dependent on these paid resources and don't really understand the free tools that are online? I think definitely all three of those databases have, have a great place. Um, but when you're trying to do research outside of law school, you know, you might not be a part of a firm that has all three of those resources. It might only have one or it might not have any. So it's good to know also what's out there for free so you can balance the subscription resources with the free resources. Sheila, would you mind telling us just a little bit about uh, your involvement and kind of what you do with the Library of Congress? Certainly. I chair the Standing Committee on the Law Library of Congress. It's one of the oldest entities in the American Bar Association, having been recognized from basically about 1930, that this was a key resource to the nation and to the lawyers of the nation. And it is something that we have supported, encouraged, and liaised with, and provided both insights, I hope, on what lawyers need, and also to be the voice of the Law Library of Congress, and the Library of Congress in general, to the legal profession as a whole, not just domestically, but worldwide. 
it is a treasure. It's a treasure for law students. It's a treasure for senior lawyers. It's a treasure for the pro bono community. It's a treasure for the NGOs to have access to information. And it is for the world. It's one of the great treasures of America. And it's designed, of course, first originally to help the Congress itself. And Thomas Jefferson's books are were donated to the Library of Congress. Yep. Uh, so it is a key element in American history. It's a key element in American legal history. And it's something that every lawyer should be aware of and law student. Anyone interested in the law, you know, writers, scholars from all over the world use it. Why not, as a member of the ABA, why not as a law student, use what the greatest minds in the world turn to. And not only do you get the wonderful physical resources, the books in the library, but of course online resources as well. In addition, you have the staff of the Library of Congress and the Law Library of Congress. If you get in a difficult position vis-a-vis -vis your research where there is a real issue that you cannot resolve and you've read and you've looked, you can turn to the librarians of Congress, the law librarians, and they will help you. I mean, it is a tremendous resource. And it's one, it is, I guess you would call it the pearl without price. Mm. And it's a tribute to, first of all, the American public, of course, through taxpayer funds and also through donations to the Library of Congress and to the incredible staff that represent it so beautifully. The Library of Congress now has a new librarian of Congress. Uh, just took office a, a couple months ago, Dr. Carla Hayden. Uh, she was the head of the uh, Pratt Library in uh, Baltimore and previously with uh, Chicago. She is very committed to opening up the library to the public in general to make it more accessible. And I think the law library is following suit directly. Definitely. There's a new law librarian of Congress too, Jane Sanchez, the previous librarian of Congress fantastic. You're one of the first people to hear it, it just was announced. Oh, wow. Yes, just was, just was announced. And the, the prior law, the outgoing uh, law librarian of Congress served in a number of capacities. She's been law librarian and the previous acting librarian of Congress was the head of the law library system of Congress too. So you have the best of the best that are involved in the law library. And it's not going to ever rest on its laurels. And if you think about it, being able to see, if you cannot make it physically there, mm -hmm. to see the treasures that are there. There are ancient law books, ancient. What is the earliest book in the oh. collection? What? Oh, goodness, you it's got like me on the spot. I'm not sure. Uh -oh. we're, we're going back uh, nearly a thousand years. Oh. And the treasures beyond that are just mm -hmm. incredible. Plus, recordings, decisions from throughout the world. I mean, how can you not love it? <laughs> yeah, no. I, well, and, I do, for sure. Thank yes, you. And Barbara, Thank you, Sheila. Barbara is representative of the fantastic, unbelievable staff that is, on a limited budget, produces such great things for America and the world, and, of course, for the Congress. We want to make them happy, too. We sure. definitely do. So our goal in the uh, Standing Committee, we've just done a magnificent experience. My predecessor uh, worked extremely hard in having the Magna Carta and we worked hand in hand with the Library of Congress to make sure that everyone knew about the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta. Wow. So it was exhibited throughout the country and mm -hmm. is still moving around the country and exhibits throughout the country, which explain how it interacts with American law. And all of the basics of American law come in some part, one way or another, although the Magna Carta is an ancient and certainly in its own time a very different document than anything we would look to now. But as far as historical significance, and 
the Library of Congress and the Law Library of Congress also is working on other issues. The Carta de Foresta, that's 800th anniversary of the Charter of the Forest, which is a companion piece, came out two years after Magna Carta. We also have a recognition of the role of law in World War One. Just a magnificent, magnificent opportunity. And you can go online and see, even if you're not doing hardcore research, all these wonderful things that are available. And there's there's videos. You can get, you can get online videos of sure. these wonderful things. It's a treasure. Yeah. So I know there are students listening right now who are, in fact, doing hardcore research, right? <laughs> yes. um, and who are preparing for their thesis papers uh, as they work on their JDs. Mm -hmm. Your presentation this morning was fantastic. Oh, I have to tell you. you that because, you know, I knew coming into this presentation that there are certain primary sources available mm -hmm. and secondary sources available online for free, mm -hmm. but you did a fabulous job of breaking the primary sources down by the legislative resources, the judicial resources that are available mm -hmm. online for free, and then the executive resources right. that are available online for free. So briefly, let's get a cursory <laughs> overview oh, of, okay. of legislative resources that students can access online for free. Well, the first thing with legislative resources is we have to talk about congress.gov. Right. Congress.gov is our, uh, our legislative information resource. And from there, you can actually find out um, what happened to bills and resolutions introduced from 1973 to the present. You can find the bill text from 1989 to the present. Each version of the bill as it moved through. So if there were amendments made, you get to see those amendments. And also, you get to look at the congressional record, so what was said on the floor of Congress from about 1995 to the present. So it's an incredible resource that people don't realize is there. We get a lot of calls at the desk where people ask us, about a bill that's currently being considered or a bill that was considered in the 80s and they want just more information about it and congress.gov is, is right there waiting for them. So let's say I'm doing a paper though and I want to expand my research beyond American jurisprudence okay. and look at the policy and the law beyond our borders. Sure. Is that something that the Library of Congress can help me out on? It definitely is and Sheila talked about you know our unique collections and and our unique resources. And I think one of our critical resources are our foreign law specialists. Uh, we have a group of specialists that have legal research experience and legal experience from different countries around the world. And they actually create reports and you know articles for Congress, uh, for federal agencies. And Congress and those federal agencies allow us to release those reports on our website, which is law.gov. And you can search for different topics uh, if you know that a certain legal specialist deals with an area of the world that you're interested in, you can narrow by specialist as well. And you can search, we have something called the um, Global Legal Monitor that's kind of like, like a newspaper almost for foreign legal materials. And they will actually write an, like a newspaper article about a legal happening that's happened around the world. And they will cite to the primary sources so if you have to do a paper, you can either be linked directly to it if it's freely available online, or you get the citation so that you can go into your library and find the written version of that law. So moving on to judicial resources, sure. I know that we can find some court opinions online, 
but expanding that to say records and briefs, is mm -hmm. that something I can find for free online? There are options for that online. Actually, the ABA has a lot of great records and briefs resources from uh, around um, 2005, 2007 to the present. And then you have some other resources um, that I've mentioned in the, in the presentation as well. We are a depository library for the Supreme Court. So we do have records and briefs going back to the 1830s. Unfortunately, you, you would have to come into a library for that, but we can definitely, if you give us a call, we can walk you through what's available and let you know how to find that in a library near you or how to get a copy of that from us. You had mentioned during your presentation one website in particular, casetext.com, and you had said that CARA was a feature of casetext. Can you give us an understanding as to why CARA is a good feature for a new associate to use? Now, um, you know, I can't endorse any right, third party. understanding that, um, yeah. <laughs> as, as a government person, but um, from what I've seen, now CARA is, is going to be they're gonna charge you after a trial period, but you can upload a memo or a brief, and it's going to give you information about cases that haven't been cited in your memo or brief. And then that's gonna let you know if you've missed some cases. So for people who are starting out in their research, they don't think they've gotten everything, but they're not quite sure where else to look, that might be a good resource for them to figure out if they've missed something. You offered a really important caveat during your presentation in terms of using free resources as citators. Mm -hmm. um, and if you could just expand on that. Sure, so when we're talking about citators, um, we're talking about, you know, generally people usually say, oh, shepherdize that, or keysight that. Right. Um, right. Shepherds and keysight are actually, uh, you know, owned by Lexis and, and Westlaw. Um, and they let you know whether or not the case you're looking at is still good law. How other courts have interpreted that case or that uh, code section, for instance. There are some citator-like features available online. And I think they're really useful for, for people starting out their research because it gives you an idea of how courts have cited to that case. But they're not the end-all be-all. If you're going to go into court, or if you're going to create a paper, for instance, as per grade, I would strongly suggest uh, using one of those citators, uh, you know, Keysight or, or Shepherds or another uh, subscription citator, because you want to be sure that you found everything. So I think these citators are more of a jumping off point than an, an end point. Could I interject that this, that Barbara's presentation is downloadable and go to our website and her PowerPoints and you will find like the the handyman's guide. <laughs> Absolutely, they, you know, yeah. The time live book on legal research there uh, in thumbnail sketches that will drive you to the resources you need. And we, I've tried to put on there the content which I've actually pulled from all of these websites to let you know, you know, for a certain time period, what can you find on these different websites? Yeah. So the website, again, just tell us the website real quick where we can find this presentation. Standing Committee Law Library of Congress website. It's on the ABA website. Okay. And you just type in Standing Committee Law Library of Congress. Yeah, and I'll just say this, because I'm looking through the presentation right now, print off this presentation, print yes. off the slides, go get it bound and have it at your desk as a <laughs> yes, resource. Absolutely. Because I'm serious, it really is chocked full of great research tips. Thank you. Um, and 
Last point, executive resources. Real quickly, what are some executive resources? You've got a lot of great governmental and nonprofit sources for that. So the American Presidency Project is something done by uh, UC Santa Barbara, and it actually has a, a large collection of proclamations, executive orders, and public papers of the president. So that's a great place to start your research regarding uh, presidential documents. Uh, for regulations, there's actually two great governmental websites. There's um, regulations.gov, and you can actually use that to comment on currently considered regulations. And then uh, federalregister.gov. So if you wanted to actually print off a page from the Federal Register, federalregister.gov is a great place and I know for students, you sometimes have to actually right. have your sources right, right there. That's a great resource to actually print off Federal Register pages. Well, I'll tell you, when you mentioned students, the thing that scares me <laughs> about going and venturing out into the real world yeah. is that I've become so dependent on having Bloomberg, Lexis, and Westlaw, and having full access. Mm -hmm, so I, sure. I'm able to see everything that these search engines offer but for most students, they don't know how to search for things online for free. So right. you have really done a terrific job of just compiling all the websites. Last quick question about secondary sources. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned free access to the WEX Legal Encyclopedia. Um, right. And you had said that that was the jewel of the Cornell Legal Information Institute. Yes, it's, it's pretty much the, the best legal encyclopedia you can find for free online. So I would strongly suggest if you're starting your research and you have kind of what you think is a term of art and you don't really know what it involves, the WEX uh, Legal Encyclopedia is a great place to start with that because it'll link you to different items that discuss that topic. Yeah, and going off of kind of what, what Sandy had mentioned with this as an added resource, I think a lot of students have their favorites in terms of whether they're going yep. to use LexisNexis or Westlaw or Bloomberg. And um, I think a lot of legal writing teachers now are, are teaching students the, the value of checking multiple sites and sources mm -hmm. because not every site is going to have everything, whether it's in electronic or print form or whatnot. So just having a multitude of resources is so important when you're trying to get a holistic overview of a topic or, or do more specific research. So I have to ask you guys, if you have one, in the library, do you have a favorite book, a favorite uh, a piece of work, whether it be one of Thomas Jefferson's collections or it could be anything? Is there something that you're drawn to or something that's your favorite? I think Jefferson's library, when you actually realize there it is, having been through the War of 1812 and the Capitol burning down and uh, the sense of history is what really means so much to me and also the very ancient documents to realize that law and its impact and the essential element of law in any society it gives you a sense of constancy that we struggle with the same issues today that they were basically struggling with a thousand years ago yeah, and I think uh, it's, it's a fascinating story how Thomas Jefferson's books came to be. I would recommend if, if anyone's ever in the D.C. area to go check out the library itself. Uh, amazing tour guides, and they kind of, uh, they'll tell you the story and the history behind it all, and it's really fascinating. So, Yes, please come visit us. One brief comment, and that is with so many young lawyers going into solo practice or wanting to do basically NGO work where the access to the 
research that they may have grown addicted to in, in law school is no longer available. This is a solution to a lot of problems and a lot of challenges. And I think that's something that should be recognized and embraced. The new Librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden, and the new Law Librarian of Congress are very committed to making access available. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And yeah. so I hope that you take advantage of the resources. And Barbara is a tremendous treasure in and of herself, and her commitment is so good. Oh, thank you. So, so if you could go back in time and talk to, uh, to yourself as a first-year law student, what advice, what one piece of advice uh, would you give yourself? Um, I, I would definitely tell my 1L self to um, listen when they talk about legislative history research, not just because I do a lot of it for the law library, um, but also because I think it's a great set of information to try and figure out why our laws are written the way they are and, and what uh, different members of Congress thought about different issues. I, I think it's a great piece of research that I did not realize was important when I was in law school. Well, I think uh, if I go back to that uh, that uh, very interesting period, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would tell my 1L self to go back to the library again, and my other side would say, and if you could just fast forward and invent a computer so you could do online research, you would be a lot better <laughs> off. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It has been so much fun talking with you both about legal research and about the benefits of the Library of Congress. I really do hope students listening today will really take advantage of the Library of Congress and the free resources that are out there on the internet. We hope so too. Ladies, thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. <laughs> Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.